Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On today's show, we have top fives for you, top five films of the year. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Fences star Viola Davis. So stick around. We're back, and here's Janelle Riley. Good morning. And we're going to give you our top fives. Oh, it's so Not exciting. Not top ten. No, no. Although, aren't we're you doing, like, honorary mentions? I'm going to throw a few honorary of, mentions Yeah, a little bit of a cheat, but that's okay. you, you got to mention that. But it's I'd, your podcast. You do what you want. It's our podcast. Oh, ours? Really? <laughs> I do want to preface this by saying that this year has been pretty bad for me for movies. You know, it's there was a lot of stuff I really liked, but very little I loved. I don't know what it was the the deal. Like I just was every time I'd put like a screener in that everyone's been recommending, I've just been disappointed. Um, well, you know, it's funny you would say that because last night I I wasn't joking when I texted you that I was watching The Shallows mm. because I felt like I couldn't complete my list without seeing it because <laughs> so many people t- had told me how good it was. I did that with Don't Breathe. Oh, I did like Don't Breathe. <laughs> But wow. it, but then see the whole thing about like the shallows or don't breathe is that you're not expecting them to be good, right? And then when you discover them, you feel awesome. And since everyone had told me how awesome the shallows was, I was a little disappointed. So it did not make my top. So five. it did not make your top no, five. No, I'm sorry to say, That's but it was very bad. entertaining. But yes, so top fives. You uh, want to do your honorable mentions first? Yeah, but because ladies, ladies probably, first. Oh, okay. Well, um, I suspect we we tend to agree more than we disagree. True, I think. True. Um, my top five plus honorable mentions list is very eclectic. The honorable mentions that didn't quite make the list were um, I love certain genre films like mm-hmm. Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. I thought was so fantastic. And coming on the heels of Batman versus Superman. Captain Fantastic Civil War. Captain Fantastic Civil War. <laughs> well, now you're giving away my top five. <laughs> um, I thought it showed how you could actually make two superheroes that you care about fight against each other and have real stakes mm-hmm. and have them both be right and both be wrong and I th- I thought it was great. I loved Arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved The Conjuring 2. Um, yeah. Although there was a point in that movie where I literally said to my friend, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> I am Fantastic. going to have nightmares. I'm freaking out. And then two feel-good movies that, that almost made the top five were Lion and Hidden Figures. Ah. Yeah, I loved both of them. Just sobbed at both of them. They definitely win my ugly cry face of the year award movies. But my top five is very eclectic, obviously. Let's not get into it yet. Oh, no. Let me throw out my, my honorable mentions. Oh, yeah, yeah, do your honorable mentions. Only one of those is on mine, which is Lion. Hugely sure. emotional, amazing story. Great movie. Uh, I've got Birth of a Nation on here. Very good uh, It's movie. taken some knocks, I think, from some snobby critics, frankly. Uh, sorry. But, uh, you know, I think it's just like a thunderbolt mm-hmm. out of Nate Parker's soul in, in a very a great movie. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by how good that movie was. I did not expect it to be that good. I have Fences. Uh, it's basically yes. the play, understood. But when your subject, when your source material is that powerful, uh, it, it's going to transcend into the film space. Right. And it did for me. I mean, it blew me away. Oh, those performances are fantastic. I don't think Fire at Sea, uh, the documentary, necessarily works as a work of art, by the way. Uh, before I get into this one, that's a longer conversation. I think it's juxtaposition uh, of, of kind of the ordinary things happening on this island while the, re- the migrant crisis is happening. 
with what's happening with the migrant crisis. I don't think that works artistically. But nevertheless, I think it's important to see a movie like that, to know Mm -hmm. what the hell's going on in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's pretty riveting for that. Uh, Jungle Book. Right. You're a big Jungle Book fan. I mean, I'm a a big fan of what it portends Mm -hmm. for the business because... Uh, it, they pulled it out, pulled yeah. it off with a plum. I no, mean, it's amazing. like, it's, it's, you know, if that's I the future. I still don't believe they weren't in a jungle somewhere. <laughs> I know it's supposed to be all CGI. They're in but a warehouse in downtown Los Angeles. That is insane. I've got Rogue One. I have not seen Rogue One. Well, no spoilers. Yeah. But uh, it's it's everything that everyone seemed to think The Force Awakens right. was. You weren't a big fan of Force Awakens. I was not. I, it, was a, it was pure confection. This is the first time I've ever felt stakes in a Star Wars movie. Really? And I'm not a big Star Wars fan, by the way, so... Take take that with for whatever you need. You know what I love in Star Wars is that Mr. Spock guy. I'm just I'm just <laughs> here to piss off some nerds, of you which I it. am one. So I, I bet you did even, it. I didn't even say that. I, I and, love his scenes with Gandalf. And my my last one is uh, Sausage Party. Oh dear, your favorite movie of the year? No, my favorite movie of the year is Passengers. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> These are the two movies I think we disagree on. Yeah, most. well, Passengers certainly. I just. I, look, my brain was at the door for that one. But uh, so Sausage Party, I, I feel uh, Seth Rogen's like our, our great theologian, Janelle. Uh-huh. Look, Sausage Party was fun. <laughs> it had some really... I don't think it's nearly as clever as it thinks it is. I don't think it thinks it's clever. Oh, I, think it I think, thinks, think it's just stoned it's and telling very jokes. very proud of itself when it has really? things like, oh, the crackers don't get along with the grits. Get it? And the bagel yeah, sounds like I don't think like it's self-aware Allen. necessarily. I think it's just like... I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I understand why you'd have that perspective, but I actually, I don't think that it's, like, going for that reaction, per se. I literally think it's stone people in a room coming up with jokes together. It's very funny. So. Um, the opening number is fantastic. Um, Alan Menken. I hate that it sort of sells itself out at the end. I don't want to do spoilers, but it basically throws away the whole premise and, and goes for a cheap joke, which kind of bummed me out. But, look, it, it, there are worse ways to spend, what was it, 90 minutes? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're number five. Oh, I don't know that I necessarily ranked these. Oh, really? Um, I did. No, I guess I, guess I kind of Can did. Can you do it on uh, the fly? I think I could. Um, number five would be The Lobster. The Lobster. I loved this movie. And, you know, I have avoided seeing Dogtooth because the description sounded so unpleasant. And now that I get this guy's style... I think I have to go back and see it. I thought Colin Farrell was fantastic. I mm-hmm. think Olivia Coleman has the best line of the year as the hotel manager who says, um, you know, uh, if you're having trouble in your relationship, we'll assign you children. That always helps. <laughs> um, I just, and I, I wish that the screenplay was getting a little more love. I know that there, it did get like, LA critics. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a nominee, by the way, for oh, original gosh, screenplay. I, hope so. I really do. I yeah. think that branch would be one to, to, to spark to it. It's, it is a good movie. It, it's got like, uh, it owes a lot to Ionesco. Yeah. Would, you know. <laughs> which is strange. I never liked Ionesco. I was going to ask, are yeah. you a big absurdist Not fan at really, all? Not really, which no? is, you know, on paper, this movie is, is nothing I thought I would like. And I went to see it because I really like Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, you know, has my trigger in it. Mm. You know what that is? Animals? Well, a specific animal. Dogs? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet it was important to the story. and um, That's a brutal was, moment. Yeah, it is. But But I would say necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I thought it I thought it was a fantastic movie. My number five. You were talking about genre movies. Yes. Green Room. Did you see Green Room? I did see Green Room. I love Jeremy Saulnier. I think yeah. he's an amazing filmmaker. He's a who, great filmmaker. I mean he he's made two film well, he's made three films. The first one's really and he would admit this, just kind of throwaway, but 
Blue Ruin in this. I mean, he's mastered show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. He's great with visual storytelling. Uh, it is, you know, he's really great with geography, which is crucial yes. for a movie like this. And 10 Cloverfield Lane, mm-hmm. by the way. I'm from that area, too, you know. Really? In the Portland area. So I have to say, like, they, they, they nail nailed it. it. <laughs> yeah. I told Patrick Stewart that when, I, when he did our studio last year. Because he, you know, I know he's I interviewed Stewart, him earlier this year for that, yeah. I mean, it's, I literally would line up for anything this guy makes yeah. because I just love the way he makes movies. And by the way, I mean, I was looking at the critic circuit and the best actor winners. Casey Affleck is dominating naturally. Uh, and only two other people have won critics awards for mm. best actor, Adam Patterson and Denzel Washington. Adam Patterson? Oh, Adam Driver. I mean, Adam Driver, excuse me, for yeah. Patterson. Uh, and so he I'd was like so to just believable <laughs> Patterson. You believe his name is Adam Patterson. I just want to throw it out to some intrepid group. I think Anton Yelchin is great in this movie. Oh, he is. Uh, rest yeah. in peace. I honestly think it's probably his best performance. He really makes you believe the terror yeah. of the of the situation, and that that's no that's no short order. So, anyway, uh, Green Room is my number five. Yep. What's your number four? Uh, well, um, continuing the animal theme, it's Zootopia. Oh yes, animation made it. I this movie is so. See, this is this is where I would say like Sausage Party thinks it's being subversive mm-hmm. because it has like a talking douche. But Zootopia is actually it's pretty subversive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but why does the douche talk? Like it's supposed to be talking food, and then suddenly toilet paper and a douche can talk. Ah, oh, don't get me started. You got me started. Don't okay. they sell douches in supermarkets? Is it everything in a supermarket is live? Is that the premise? I think so. I don't know because sometimes it's food. And then sometimes it's inanimate objects, and then sometimes it's a piece of corn, and then it's kernels of corn. Like, I'm, so I'm going to write a whole yeah, paper. Yeah, you thought really hard about all of this. Harder than I think they wanted you to think. But um, Zootopia is so subversive, so mm-hmm. clever. I mean, it's basically a you know $100 million Disney animated movie about racism. Mm-hmm. And done so... It's so clever, and it's so funny. And it made a lot of money. made a lot of money. It's also just beautiful to look at. It's adorable. I haven't seen it since it came out. I've been meaning to revisit. Oh, it it really Uh, But I do do like it quite a bit. Yeah, no, it's it's another one that I would pitch as a screenplay nomination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's in the hunt, especially with those scripts that fell out of the original category recently. And it's been a great year for animated movies. I mean, I really liked Moana. I liked Mm -hmm. Finding Dory. But, like, I just think Zootopia is just, like... Heads and tails above mm-hmm. everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number four, and if we get, I, I have a feeling we might be getting into this yes. place where I, I mention a movie that's still to come on your list. Yes. Feel free to say as little as possible until sure. until you get to it. My number four is Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Barry Jenkins. Uh, it's obviously the year's critical favorite, and I think there's a there's a definite reason for that, which is this guy has a definitive, clear uh, vision, point of view, voice, and it ties so interestingly with sociopolitics of today identity politics certainly uh, and it's incredible I've said this before that he was able to draw out the same spirit of, of, of a character in three different actors yeah. the way he does and uh, I watched it again last week and it's just a powerful movie it looks amazing the editing is amazing and it's got the best I think ensemble performance of the year everyone is I so organic so to the piece and that's my number four Moonlight um, I will just add to that Mahershala Ali of course. Mahershala Ali. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. He's a charmer, that guy. He definitely is. Uh, my number three is... Number, oh, number four. Oh, sorry. We have four? No, I did no, four. No, you I did four. That's right. Sorry. Um, my number three is Moonlight. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Um, and this is hard because, like I said, I did not rank these. And so I'm sort of looking at them on the fly. I sort of have a three-way tie for number one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually a little surprised it's your number four choice because I thought it was far and away your favorite movie of the year. It was up there for a while. Things yeah. just sift around when you start to revisit things. And, yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's all of these movies are, for me, the cream of the crop in a year that wasn't so great. So. Yeah, I mean, I could easily, tomorrow Moonlight might be my number one choice. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, these five, I could, def- if we did this last week or a week from now, like, they might be a different ranking. Yeah. For me, it's these it's these top three that are really all number one for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm going to I'm gonna throw a bit of a wild card in with my number one, I figure. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, is that all you're going to say about Moonlight? Uh, I mean, what more is there to say? Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, what else can you movie. say? Like, I said last week, like, you know, do we even, like, I feel like we shouldn't even put Moonlight and La La Land on our lists because they're so obvious. Right. We should open up those spaces to other movies. But, so, you know, I remember David Fincher said about the casting of Ben Affleck and Gone Girl. Just because it's the obvious choice doesn't make it the wrong choice. Yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, it's it's... Every performance in that movie is perfect, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it's, I, I, there's just, I, I've used up all my superlatives. Yeah, what else can we say? <laughs> superlatives? I don't know. Did I make a word up? <laughs> Look, man, I just spilled coffee on my pants and, oh, no. um, yeah. Uh, number three, for me, a lot of great documentaries this year. Uh, I mentioned Fire at Sea, obviously, Thirteenth uh, and OJ. Wow. OJ Made in America is amazing. Uh, Not a movie. <laughs> whole podcast could be done yeah, about that. I, I don't have strong feelings about it, but I. I don't have strong feelings, but I, I certainly it. understand the people who have yes. strong feelings that it's not a movie. Though yes. I'll say that, but I think the best of them is Wiener. Yeah, um, Wiener is a is a great documentary. I I would lean more towards the Thirteenth because it's just mm-hmm. so powerful and timely and relevant. But yeah, Wiener is it's. Pretty impressive. The, I mean, talk uh, about the sociopolitics. I, I mean, the, it's so zeitgeisty because it's about flawed heroes. I've said this before, and just media obsession with titillation mm-hmm. and letting that get in the way of analyzing substance. I mean, is there another movie that could be more sum up this year than that? Yeah. You know, and the fact, like you say, that they got the access that they did. Uh, I think after the fact, he wishes they didn't have that access, oh, but know. I'm glad that they did because it's such a revealing portrait it is. of just frailty, really. And uh, it's been one of the best movies of the year since I saw it, like, way back in the spring, and it's my number three. And, you know, I think it would still be a great movie even if it wasn't for some of that gotcha stuff mm-hmm. that they got. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they again, the access they got is just, you look back on that and you're like, who okayed this? Yeah. But thank God they did. Yeah. Your number two? Um, La La Land. I mean, again, what more is there to say? It's so Sing for us. <laughs> Nobody wants Sing to hear that. Review. Although I was doing that in the car on the way here this morning. Singing and, La La Land? Yes. Uh, um, which song? Well, you know, this is funny. We may have discussed this before, but my favorite songs are not even in oh, the yeah, running we did. for best song. Um, I was singing Another Day of Sun. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and uh, Start a Fire. That one actually is eligible for nomination, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very, very catchy tune. I mean, perfectly cast. Damien Chazelle is just, what more is there to say? I mean, you know, Whiplash was my favorite movie of 2014, I oh, guess it was? it was. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the year of the compound word, and it was Whiplash, Nightcrawler, and Birdman <laughs> were my three favorite movies. But there was just, you know, this guy knows how to end a movie. He's really talented, yeah. and he, uh, more importantly, he's very confident in that show. Yeah. Like, it's it makes me mad. Yeah, I know. Because what but is he like? Thirty one. Very humble. He is thirty one years. Yeah, he's old. one of the nicest guys you'll talk yeah. to. Uh, you know, hopefully he stays that way. Yeah. <laughs> you never know if what he, this business does to people. One of these he, days, J- Jacob Trombley is just going to be the 
the biggest bastard. <laughs> uh, if Damien Chazelle wins Best Director, he'll be the youngest Best Director winner ever. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, like, very deserving. Kind of hard to argue with. He, he is an, you know. He's a wonderkind, he as is. they say. I was going to say unfunt terrible, but I've mispronounced enough words today. <laughs> My number two is Manchester by the Sea. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Lonergan. Uh, I keep using the word immaculate to describe it because it's really just perfectly tuned. Uh, I just watched it again last night. Um, he's, I think, our foremost humanist, and that comes out you know, wonderfully yeah. in the film. Uh, as I said, Casey Affleck has dominated the critic circuit for acting, and I think... It's because it's an amazing performance, yeah. an amazingly internalized performance. There's so much going on with him. He's and a great actor. He and really is. Yeah. Did you see him host Saturday Night Live this weekend? No, I, 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 get, I have to what, catch up to I'm it. I'm telling you, I bet he won a lot of fans. Oh, really? He, he was really fantastic. And, and I was, I guess, not surprised at how funny he was, but surprised that they gave He's him a really dryly funny guy, especially he when you get funny. him and Lonergan together. Like, yeah. I, I saw them both at this, like, Amazon thing a few weeks ago, and I was like... Lonergan's hilarious. Well, I was like, can you get... I was like, Kenny, can you go, like, write a sketch for him at, yeah. on SNL? That'd be great. And he's like, Kenny's I did have an idea. His, uh, broad comedy sketches. Well, I mean, he, I bet he could <laughs> deliver something interesting. Hey, there's some very funny stuff in Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> there very is. funny human stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And they want to make sure you, people point that out, too, because I've certainly used the term melancholy a lot. Mm. And they're like, stop saying that. And I'm <laughs> really? like, it's a freaking downer, man. But there's definitely a lot of Kenny Lonergan humor, including when he shows up as, a, as yes, his own his cameo. cameo. You know, it's funny. I think they're leaning into the... Um, the sadness of it now, because in Casey Affleck's monologue on Saturday Night Live, he kept stressing how depressing the movie was. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, th- thank you for just being frank. Um, interesting notes from the uh, Midwest. My mom called me last night to say she had seen Manchester by the Sea mm-hmm. because she read in Parade Magazine that Casey Affleck would get an Oscar nomination. Right. Um, and she was just like kind of surprised at how sad it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, be warned. It's yeah. a sad movie. It is a sad movie. What's your number one? Um, I might be a surprise to everyone but you, Captain Fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot that I ruined it earlier. Uh, you, did you ruin Captain Fantastic? Well, when Fantastic? I said Captain Fantastic Civil War, you said don't ruin my list. And then I forgot oh. that it was on your list when you said that. That's okay. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> um, again, Moonlight, La La Land, and Captain Fantastic. Every day, you could, it could change for my favorite. But mm-hmm. I feel like Moonlight and La La Land have probably gotten enough love. I am so happy that Captain Fantastic is getting attention for Viggo Mortensen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so thrilled he got the Golden Globe nomination and the SAG nomination, and in the correct category in Golden Globes, by the way, mm-hmm. in the drama category. And I really hope Matt Ross's script gets some recognition. Um, this is such an original, weird, funny, sad, uplifting, sweet movie. How many times have you seen it? Only twice. Yeah, hmm. I know. I saw when it you know went right before it first came out. And then uh, fairly recently, just so you didn't see of, it at Sundance or anything like that. You I don't go to Sundance. That. Yeah, yeah. I but you know what's <clears throat> funny? Um, Matt Ross was one of our directors to watch this year in January, and he came to our event, and I saw him in Palm Springs, and I was like, "Oh man, I love that actor!" You know, he's <laughs> he's great and everything. And I went up and started talking to him, and then um, it was his birthday, mm-hmm. no less. And then they were like, "Oh, you know, we're going to get started for the directors to watch." And I was like, "Oh, are you presenting to someone?" And he's like, "Oh no, I'm one of the directors." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm a jerk." You know, he's great in that. That I kind of hoped somebody would throw a bone to this year's Frank Langella. Frank Langella. How per- I'm so happy I got an ensemble nomination because Catherine Hahn, mm-hmm. Steve Zahn, Frank Langella. Is it Ann Dowd who plays his wife? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. I mean, like, and these kids who, mm-hmm. I, for a while, I really thought maybe some of them were related because mm-hmm. they look so much alike. It's just, I, you know, I am best actor is I think probably down to Denzel and Casey mm-hmm. who are both very deserving but I would love to see Viggo Mortensen Viggo continues to just get in there for movies like this because I Eastern think if Promises, people see the because... movie you know the problem is are people seeing the movie yeah but if you see the movie it's it's kind of hard to not vote for him yeah I know a lot of HFPA people saw it late and they all were like wow I like yeah. this movie a lot and then sure enough it, it, well that's the advantage it has is that you know they got screeners out early it mm-hmm. came out early in the year I think that's why it you know helped do really well with SAG mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> I think it's a fantastic movie. All right, enough gabbing. <laughs> yeah. It's my turn. All right, go. Let my number speak. one movie is Independence Day Resurgence. Oh, stop! I'm dead serious. Oh, you're criminal. I think this movie has something to say about the uh, horror that's about to be inflicted on this planet, based on what's happened in this Are last election. Like, yeah, I'm ser- totally doing it. Oh, God. Bit. Good God. I was like, I was pretty sure. But then, like... I'm glad I got you. Oh. La La Land. Oh, it is La- Of course, you hadn't done La La Land yet. Okay. I mean, plain and simple, I responded to a story about people still daring to dream. I yeah. mean, it's really as simple as that, thematically speaking. Uh, it's, you know, holding off pragmatism and stability. All of that stuff really yeah. resonates. And as we said when you were speaking about it, he is hugely talented, Damien. He is hugely it's confident. It's kind of infuriating. I mean, it's like this its this expressionist musical, which is really bold to just dive into something like that. Because, you know, Scorsese didn't bother with New York, New York for a couple of years. You mm-hmm. know, he got a, a lot of things under his belt. But to just come out with your second, it is his second film, right? It might be his third. Well, third, uh, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. That's right, that's right. But that was his Harvard thesis film. I don't know. <clears throat> If it even got released. Harvard thesis film. Yeah. Interesting term. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's just, what can you say? Again, what else can you say about this movie other than people that are like ganging up on it now? Well, that's the popular thing to do, isn't it? When I don't know what this thing is. is. People, people end up responding to a movie's award season footprint. They're not responding to the movie anymore. Yep. Suddenly Argo is a piece of shit because it's going to beat Lincoln. Right. Like, I don't understand this. I've been wanting to curse this whole time. Sometimes it comes out of me. Sometimes it comes out of me. (laughs) And that just bothers me. Like, yeah. people are responding to a response at that point. They're not really responding to the movie. And I appreciate the people that have very real criticisms of this movie. And sure. I'll listen to them and hear them out. But this time of year, these dog piles start to happen. And it just drives me berserk. Yeah, of course. It's a response to the it's the backlash. And then there's the backlash against the yeah. backlash. And, yeah, you just have to tune that all out. Like, La La Land is where it is because people genuinely love it. And there was a movie... Oh, I won't go down that road. I was just going to say, like, there are some movies that, like, I don't get, uh-huh. but then I can't deny that I'm seeing other people have a genuine response to it. Yeah. You know, so why people want to deny it, like, it, maybe it's the hip thing to do, uh, to hate on the thing that everyone loves, but, you know, I... Well, a lot of times things break down, like, just, this is a very different movie than, say, Manchester by the Sea. Sure. But it's my number one and number two movie, so, look, I contain multitudes, people. <laughs> Chris is a very complex person. <laughs> did you actually see Independence Day Resurgence? I did. It's oh my gosh. the worst movie I saw this year. Really? Yes. I was profoundly disgusted, but that's disgusted. a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, wow. it's Yeah. Anyway, that's our top fives. So uh, this week... So I think the um, by the average mean, probably La La Land. Well, let's see. You, ha- I had La- We both had Moonlight and La La Land. Yes. Those were the two, so... And we both had Lion on our honorable mentions. That's right. 
and we both love Sausage Party. <laughs> I don't hate Sausage Party. <laughs> There's some very funny stuff in it. This week, I'm talking to Viola Davis, speaking uh, earlier of Fences, who is yeah. just uh, show-stopping in the movie. So, uh, and, and we get into a lot of interesting stuff, Suicide Squad, talk about Soderbergh, a bunch of different things. She's amazing. So stick around for that. Can I ask you a question? How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? What law is there say I got to like you? No. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why you think that is? Because of you. (laughs) Hell, I know it's because of me, but why do you think that is? Because you like me? Like you. I go out of here every morning, I bust my butt because I like you. You're about the biggest fool I ever saw. A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put your behind on my bed because you're my son. It's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. I ain't got to like you. Now, I don't give you everything I got to give you. I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out. Between us and liking your black ass wasn't part of the bargain. Now, don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure that they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with the lovely Viola Davis, star of Denzel Washington's Fences. Thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I should say star of August Wilson's Fences by way of Denzel Washington, <laughs> right? Um, I want to start, if you'll permit me, by flirting with you just briefly. Okay. <laughs> I find your eyes to be very stunning. And oh, I've, thank I've, you. I've thought that for a long time. I think that the way you uh, convey emotion mm-hmm. and hide emotion and betray emotion, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think your eyes have been great tools for you as an actress. And uh, I've always wanted to say that to you. So oh, thank you. Well, I accept it and I appreciate it. <laughs> I want to start by talking about something called trust, which yes. keeps popping up with this film. I've noticed yeah. you guys talk about that a lot uh, and, and how Denzel asked you guys to trust him yeah. when it came to this project. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about the value of that as an actress. Uh, what, why is it so valuable on a project like Fences where you are <clears throat> you know, dealing with emotionally volatile material and it's, yeah. you go to some really intense places? Why is it so important on a film like this? Well, it's everything that you just mentioned is going to those intense places and having four-page monologues and that take you to places that are ex- extraordinarily vulnerable. That um, It's the trusting yourself, too, to be able to go there and trusting your work, but it's also trusting the director is going to have your best interests at heart. A lot of times you have directors who are more interested in the shot 
they're more interested in just other aspects of the film other than your performance. And you don't know what they're seeing, you know, when they're at Video Village and they're looking at playback. You want to trust that what they're looking at is something that at the end of the day you're going to be proud of and you're going to believe. Um, And the thing about Denzel, and I think it's because he is a great actor, he knows the words that are going to unlock the thing that's holding you back. And then he knows when to step away and to let you fly. A lot of people just don't know that because they just they don't even know acting is a process Mm -hmm. and they're directing you. He understood that, and that's where the trust comes in, is knowing what to say, knowing when to say it, knowing when to step back, knowing when not to have you drive your performance into the wall, um, because he has such a, ga- a, a, a truth gauge. He knows when whatever you're doing is bullcrap. Um, and he respects August's words. Um, Just kind of get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned truth there, and there's an interesting point I wanted to talk about, which is, uh, you know, wrangling with this material on the stage versus wrangling with it on a film. Uh, You know, Denzel has come at this question by saying that, you know, truth is truth and the camera will catch you lying, which is very Mm -hmm. wise. But still, uh, do you find yourself processing it at all differently Mm -hmm. in the two different environments and, and how you kind of absorb it and then reflect it back out? As performance, does, does any of that differ? Well, it is different because because you always have to be aware that you're not doing it in an audience of 1,200 people. So it, it's not even about um, the level of your voice. It's about projecting emotion that you don't you don't have to project it as hard. But at the same time. You know, that's a really hard question. People are asking me that constantly yeah, all I'm the sure. time. Yeah, I'm sure. Because you always have to be grounded in truth, even on stage. Mm-hmm. It just has to be. you got to believe you're coming from a place of truthfulness, that you're talking, that you're listening, um, that you're engaged. Listen, August wrote a four, four-page monologue. One of the monologues is 11 pages, actually, one of Troy's. Mm-hmm. It's got to go on for 11 pages. So when that's happening, that's indicative of something emotionally, uh, emotional happening. And whatever emotionally is happening with a four-page monologue or 11-page monologue is not understated. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, sometimes with film, I think people just feel like you got to be understated. <laughs> you got to be small. And so then you go to movies and you see people actually acting small. Mm-hmm. They're not really acting the moment. They're just acting small. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's a lot of speeches and a lot of moments, not speeches, but, but scenes in this movie where it just can't be small. That whatever is happening is highly traumatic. That it's not about vanity. It's not about holding back. It's about the pain that comes from the surprises of life that make you feel like you are going to die. Mm-hmm. And you are fighting for your life. The stakes are really, really high. And in those moments, you can't think about being small. Mm-hmm. You got to think about playing the truth of the scene. You got to think about being that feral dog that all of a sudden is backed into the corner by a, a dog catcher who wants to euthanize them. Mm-hmm. And how are they going to act? 
They're going to claw. They're going to fight back. They're going to fight for their lives. It's that kind, those kind of moments that you have to really step up to. And um, I think that, and the reason why I'm mentioning that is I think that on the stage you really have to go for it, and on screen you got to go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, you have different faculties to call on too, I guess. I mean, like I mentioned your eyes, you know, that becomes a different tool to you when the camera's right here and how you kind of convey, not that you're like telling your eyes to act, but you know what I mean, like you, yeah. how, how the eyes convey the emotion uh, and, and translate things. It, it becomes a, a unique tool for you versus on the stage where the guy in the back row can't see your eyes. So, But the same things may be happening. Mm-hmm. They just can't see it. It's alchemical. Yeah. Do you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you started, uh, I believe, your, your you know your early stage career. You worked on a number of August work, and yeah. uh, but Fences is the one that looms so large, you know. Yeah. So were you just really eager to do that one? Eventually, is that a part that you always just wanted to sink into? I want to sink into any part that's great. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was one of them. I personally loved all the August Wilson roles that I've gotten. Tanya and King Headley the second, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Vera and Seven Guitars, Maddie and Joe Turner's come and gone. I thought that they were all great. And, um, yeah, I'm always looking for a great narrative. The thing that I love about Rose is her journey is complete. Mm-hmm. It is a complete journey. When you meet her, she's in the background you know, probably not knowing that she just is filling that role in the background, but someone who is just trying to make her life work, just trying to keep her family together. That's where the center of her life exists. That is her purpose. That is how she matters. That's how you're introduced to her. Mm -hmm. And then this traumatic thing happens and you see her pain. You see her go through her pain you see it you see her articulate it perfectly and then the and and in the end you see how she redeems it and you ultimately see forgiveness and accountability that to me is a complete journey mm-hmm. um and any actor wants that any actor wants that now being such a student of his work uh <clears throat> i'm curious what you think of how he wrote women Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly specifically as it pertains to fences, but just in general, uh, how well do you think August Wilson got into the mindset of women in the parts that he wrote? Beautifully. Yeah. And it's so funny because so many of his plays are male-driven, mm-hmm. far more male characters than female characters. But when the female character did step into the narrative, she stepped in, she stepped in with uh, great insight um, what I love about August is none of his women, for me, feel like they're just a device. Mm-hmm. They all have their own voice. I mean, with Tanya, you just all, in King Headley II, you understood what it meant for a woman in the 80s. That was a cycle in the 80s to bring a child into the world, um, living in poverty, living in low-income housing bringing a child into the world knowing that she's probably going to bury them by the age of 17. Um, You understood that. He, for me, he captures their essence. He always said that he was, I think, writing, I I want to say seven guitars. And as he was writing it, all of a sudden a woman stepped in. 
and he was surprised. He was writing, I guess, wherever he writes in his room in Seattle, or mm-hmm. and a woman stepped into the narrative, and he was like, "Wait a minute, who is this?" And the first thing she said was, "Hey," and he was like, "Hey," <laughs> and she said, "I have something to say," and he said, "Okay." <laughs> And I feel like that's where it always starts with an artist, is being open enough to allow another human being into a narrative. And when they come in there, you they, they absolutely demand their space. Mm-hmm. And if you're an artist, you want to give them a voice. And he had that need to give his women a voice. And I think, I, I, I think he did it beautifully. Yeah. We were talking about Denzel and, and uh, how he knew exactly what to say to unlock things. I'm curious if if he has always had that as a filmmaker because you go back to his directorial debut on Antoine Fisher and he's got another film under his belt in the meantime and then now Fences. Uh, how has he changed in your estimation as a filmmaker and, and grown as, as, as a director since that time? Um... People ask me that all the time. I maybe because I'm a friend and a fan. Yeah, Denzel. I always thought he was great. I did. I always because he's a great actor. He knows the process of how to unlock. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that with him and Derek Luke mm-hmm. and Antoine Fisher. Um. It's like that moment that he has in glory where he's just uh, he's just standing there and he rips his shirt off and he spits. And then you see the scars on his back. So you see that he's a rebellious slave. Mm-hmm. And then he's being bitten in that and he's being beaten. And in that in that moment, he's choosing to be strong, to be rebellious, but to also be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Anyone who can make a bold choice like that as an actor has a different head. Mm-hmm. And has a different vision of truth that that doesn't fit stereotypes. Um, he knows how to come in and question, why are you doing that? Are you doing it just because you feel like you need to be doing it because I don't believe it? What if I took you a step further and questioned you and a little bit f- to do something else? That is probably more rooted in truth. It's a kind of truth that nobody wants to admit. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to see. But I'm going to give you that one word that's going to push you to do something different. What if you did A instead of B? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you see that actor going in a direction that they didn't expect. And ultimately the audience sees it and, and, and it's unexpected for them. I mean... Listen, in the last scene in Fences, which I never got on the stage, I was doing the scene when we were rehearsing in in Pittsburgh for the film. And he said, I want you to walk up to Corey. And after he says he's not going to his father's funeral, I want you to slap him. Did you tell tell him that? Yeah. Okay. I said, really? He said, I want you to slap the piss out of him. And I was like, okay but then that was the start of unlocking the scene for me in a way that was bold 
um, and, and in a way that I would not have chosen to do. Great. Well, he's amazing in the film as well. I mean, I think it might be his best work. Yeah. And the just the work overall is is incendiary. I mean, I <clears throat> I, I never saw the play. Uh, I read it some time ago. But you know, as great as the words are, seeing it on the page and then seeing an actor really tear into them, and then as a new father myself this year, yeah. oh, added a whole right. thank you added yeah. a whole definition absolutely to the whole thing. That's yeah. uh, really really impactful so uh, speaking of 2002 with Antoine Fisher that was a great year for you I wanted to venture out a little bit uh, you had Far From Heaven and you had mm-hmm. uh, what was the other you had Solaris with, with Soderbergh oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I wanted to talk about Soderbergh actually because you've worked with him a couple of times Traffic mm-hmm. and Out of Sight and uh, you know since you worked with him so early in your film career I'm curious what you learned from Steven Soderbergh that you've kind of applied throughout your career Besides the fact that he's the most relaxed filmmaker I've ever met in my life to the point where you think something's wrong with him. (laughs) I'm serious. There was one point where I just wanted to shake him just to see how he would react, but I don't think it would have done anything. But um, I think that's the one thing that I have learned from him is when you work with Steven, it's easy. That's what it is. It's, Mm -hmm. It's very easy. It's a it's it's so relaxed that what it forces you to do is to not put anything on your acting. Mm-hmm. To just come in and say the line. And you know, for an actor, you all actors always want to be seen. <laughs> Even if they have two lines in the back, they always feel like the scene is about them. You know. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, someone else may have, have all the lines, but I'm coming in delivering the pizza. I've got my so moment. It's about, it's about the pizza <laughs> delivery. So um, with him, everything is still and easy. And I believe that's a reflection of him. That's a probably reflection. It's probably a better question for him of how he wants to see the world, yeah. of how he sees people. But I remember with Out of Sight, I could never get a role in film. I, it just was not happening for me in film. And finally, I got the audition for Out of Sight, and I was like, okay, whatever, Steven Soderbergh, who, whatever. And I remember I had two lines for the audition. I think it was two, two or three. That's it. And I said, I'm just going to say them. That's it. Because I'm at this point, I'm pissed that no one's hiring me. And I went to my agent's office in New York, J. Michael Bloom. I said the lines, and then I left. And I was like, really crappy audition Mm -hmm. when I found out I got the role I was in shock playing Don Cheadle's girlfriend and I remember asking Steven so I said what was it that made you hire me (laughs) he said it was a combination of my stillness and my simplicity along with my wild hair that I had (laughs) that he, he saw it as a huge contradiction that made him lean in it was interesting the contrast of this kind of simple, straightforward woman with wild hair made him want to know more. I remember back in the day I did my own hair. I used to braid it into my hair. I used to um, buy hair from this hair shop here in California. When I lived in New York, I would get it UPS to my apartment <laughs> in New York. And I would braid so much hair into my head. I looked like Sly from Sly and the Family Stone back in the day. Um <laughs> He loved it. 
he thought it was interesting. So I think that's kind of a reflection of him, that he's always looking for someone that just wakes him up. Yeah, sounds like he's looking for something real. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that time in your life. What, what Was that a, a rough time for you emotionally since you were having trouble finding the work you wanted? Or what was going on there, you think? Well, I can't say it was – if I said it was a rough time emotionally, I would be lying just to get a story – um, it was frustrating for me I, because I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what I was doing to not get the job. Mm-hmm. I would always get really, really, really close. It was always down to me and the actress or me and two other actresses. And, um, and in the midst of trying to figure it out, I didn't know if I should change myself in a way. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want it to implode and make me feel like I'm all wrong. Mm-hmm. My look is all wrong. Um, I wanted to remain who I was. I wanted to retain my voice. But I wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't happening. just wasn't. You never had to uh, sacrifice that philosophy at all, did you? Or did you? I don't think that I, I ever had. I mean, had. early on. I don't think that. Certainly not now because you live by that. And, you know, we just yeah. your speech recently at the Critics' Choice Awards and, you know, <clears throat> Very clear that that's what you live by, but uh, you don't think you ever had to. I don't think that I have. Now, other people may have a different opinion about that, but I, I've always felt like I did the best I could with what I was given, mm-hmm. with the material that was given to me, with the characters that was given to me. Listen, in the help, I could not approach Abilene like she was a size two uh, runway model. Right. Um, she is described in a very specific way, even in the book. So I had to give myself over to that. Mm-hmm. That's my job as an actor, is to give myself over to the given circumstances of the character. So I've always felt like I was true to whatever I was given. Um, I've always felt that. Mm-hmm. I I don't feel like I've ever kowtowed. Um You know, I I don't. And how about Michael Mann? Uh, I'm always curious about actors who work with Michael Mann because he's so exacting and he, you know, comes with such a fleshed out thing for you that uh, it's fascinating. And you worked with him on Black Hat. So I'd love to talk about Michael and working with him. Um, Working with Michael was tough. Yeah. It was. In a good way, in a bad way, and neither... Both, yeah, both in the sense the the good part was is his level of research, his level of preciseness is great because that's what you want as an actor. You don't ever want to just walk in and do your own thing, and it's not based in any sort of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. The other part that was not so much great is just feeling the restrictions of that for me anyway um some actors are really do well with that um i don't know if i was so successful with it um you feel you need to play a little more kind of I explore feel, a bit? i feel like i need to put my stamp on it mm-hmm. that's how i feel I feel like if you tell me anything um, about who someone should be based on their 
profession and based on the truth of what that profession is, I could tell you something about that person that absolutely belies all of that. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely antithetical towards all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I can show you a cancer patient who is actually obese. Mm-hmm. I can show you a prostitute that actually does not wear a mini skirt and fishnet stockings, but no makeup, bad skin, dirty jeans, and some sneakers. Um, that I wanted to put my own mark on it that, that, because I feel that's what wakes people up. Mm-hmm. Because you talk about truth. That is truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is no one can be placed in a box. Right. There are times when people can. There are there are examples of that, but there are about fifty million examples of that that can absolutely go against any stereotype that exists. Yeah, it's very indicative of how he works. I mean, I think he starts with what a person does for a living dictates who that person is. Yeah, and uh, and that tends to uh, yeah, like really guide his hand. But I could see how that could be troublesome for an actor who wants to add other dimensions that maybe. That doesn't but, allow for I mean, the beauty of what he does, though, shooting in Hong Kong and Kowloon and places, I think he really captures the essence of his locations beautifully. Mm-hmm. I mean, really beautifully. This, I mean, you can almost smell it. You can taste it. You, yeah. It's just palpable. Um, and I don't know how he does that, but he does it beautifully, I think. Um but as far as me, I, I, I was running to catch up and to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Suicide Squad because obviously a completely different film than Fences this year that you were in. And, and it's you dipping your toe into the kind of big IP cinematic universe realm that very much dictates a lot of this business lately. As an actor, how did you like being a part of a project like that? I mean, I... And this is no disrespect to the artists involved with these films, but you can be such a cog in a wheel of such massive machinery that mm-hmm. I imagine you feel like maybe you can't put your stamp on certain things. But I don't want to speak for you. How, how, how did that experience come off for you? I loved it. Really? And I think that I loved it because I didn't think that deeply about it. I just thought it was just fun. I... What was fun to me about Amanda Waller, and I think it's just Amanda Waller. I think if I played any other character in in probably superhero land, I probably would feel differently. Mm -hmm. But Amanda Waller, who is heavy, pearls, afro, (laughs) and has no superhuman strength, but absolutely just puts fear in the heart of all of these villains that she's in charge of, appeals to me greatly <laughs> it really does i love it i love lip- that she was from the cabrini green projects there's something about her for me that that was familiar you could bring maybe some of your id out or something absolutely or, yeah. that i could That's work fun. i was working out the bad girl <laughs> but i was working out the bad girl but from a space that, for me, is based somewhat in the re in reality. Mm-hmm. That's what I liked about it. I I I liked playing with that power. It's something so often not given to women. We, we don't we don't give ourselves permission. No one else gives us 
permission to feel that kind of unapologetic badassery. Mm-hmm. We just don't. We're always apologizing for it. Always feeling like it. Listen, people always asking me in How to Get Away with Murder, you know, do you have a problem playing a character that's unlikable? <laughs> and I'm thinking, why do people have to like me? Mm-hmm. Why does it have to be a gold of being warm <clears throat> and fuzzy? And do you ask James Gand- did you ask James Gandolfini that question? Right. Or Anthony Hopkins or any character in a Martin Scorsese movie or actor in a Martin Scorsese movie? So that need, as soon as you pick up a role or a script to find what's likable and warm and fuzzy, is somehow can be a misstep on our part. Mm-hmm. So it's great to have a character where it becomes a great exercise on being unapologetically bad. Yeah. I can tell you had fun. Yeah. I can tell you had fun. Especially with those guns. Like, <laughs> it's like... Well, speaking of uh, badassery, uh, that's a nice segue to my final question here. I want to talk about your Harriet Tubman project. Um, first of all, I'm a little behind on the news cycle. Have you got a director for that project yet? No. No? Are you zeroing in? or You don't have no. to give me your short list, but I'm curious what kind of a director you think that material needs. Well, right now... <clears throat> Right now we we need a script. <laughs> right now we need a script because it's it's really um, uh, the narrative really is about the the la- the later part of her years. Yeah, when she's older, when she is part of the Cumbie River Raid. Yeah, I was reading um, about that recently. That sounds so awesome. A great way to meet her. Oh yeah, absolutely. I yeah. I mean it's towards the end of her kind of the Underground Railroad. Um, the thing about Harriet Tubman is that it is is it's like being Sherlock Holmes, finding out who she is. Mm-hmm. You can imagine during that time in the 1800s that you weren't so forthcoming with who you were. Mm-hmm. She was a spy after all, and she was operating in the height of slavery, and then. Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. It wasn't exactly a time where you can live your authentic life and just be who you are and be candid and open. So finding out what is her center and what is her motivation and who she is in private, not just what she did that was so heroic, but who she was. You know, it's like I, I always tell writers, I mean, I'm telling writers now, I want you to write Harriet. I just want you to write her. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to write the hero. I think that's just a byproduct of, of her driving need to make a difference. But who she is at the end of the day has got to be something else. Mm-hmm. That's been the biggest issue with me. And it, it needs a director who's not going to shrink from all of that. Mm-hmm. And the, what I mean by that is towards the later part of her year, she actually met her husband and she was with him until he died, Nelson Davis. So when she was 42, this woman that you see in pictures, you know, with the scarf on her head, you know, you know, with her back kind of humped over, you know, found love, found someone who fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. So is sexualized, not sexy sexualize mm-hmm. is someone who obviously was lonely is someone who could could not have been mad at God even though she had a 
just passionate belief in him. Um, I want someone who's able to explore the heroic in the mess. That's the only way for me I can do it. That's yeah. the only way I can do it. I don't know how to play heroic. Yeah. I don't know how to play that. I know how to play a person whose need is to matter. Mm-hmm. I could do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how to play someone who's slaying dragons all the time and never has a weak moment. Yeah, like an icon. It's hard to play an icon. You can That's play why biopics are difficult because nobody wants to be disrespectful to them. So no one wants them to be seen as bad or messy when, in fact, we all are. And um, for me, that's what makes someone even mo- more heroic, mm-hmm. that in the midst of all of that stuff that can be shameful, that can be putrid, that can we could be struggling with, we can sift through it and somehow live a life bigger than ourselves. That's truly interesting to me. But other than that, I, I don't really want to do a paint-by-numbers biopic. So finding the director and finding the writer has been quite a task. I don't know. Maybe Mr. Soderbergh? Get back together? Yeah, maybe I can <laughs> catch him in there. a good moment, a good <laughs> martini. <laughs> well, I look forward to that when you finally get it together. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing-sounding project. And, uh, again, everybody go check out Fences. It's phenomenal film, one of the year's best, and she gives one of the best performances Bella Davis, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week when I'll be talking to Hidden Figures star Kevin Costner. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. (laughs) 